Welcome to the Vinny's Voice podcast, a service-based podcast focusing on St. Vincent de Paul in Lane County and beyond. Today, I'm joined by Executive Director Terry McDonald and Deputy Director Bethany Cartledge as we talk about the history of St. Vincent de Paul and why we are more than just a thrift store. Welcome. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting us down. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it was, a, it was a long trip, you know, down the stairways into the, <laughs> into the bowels of the uh, operation here on Chad Drive. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about um, the history of St. Vincent de Paul and, and more specifically the history of our thrift store operations. I think that there's, you know, there's two groups of people. There's people who associate us with our thrift stores. Um, there's people who associate us with our services. And, you know, there's a lot of people who don't, I don't think they cross the two and they don't realize the connection between the two. Um, so hopefully, you know, through this uh, interview, we can kind of talk about why they're both so interrelated and why they're both so important to each other. Um, but starting all the way back to, we talk about 1953 when we had our first salvage bureau and kind of how we, and then then 55 incorporating. Um, so let's just kind of go back to that period first and we'll just start there. Um, well, uh, so let me actually go further back than that, Chance. Uh, and that is, is that in the 19th century, uh, it was when you basically saw the first of this type of a business start up. And it was the old ragged bone man that used to go through the tenements in New York and other major urban centers in the East Coast. Uh, and basically saying, you know, send me your rags and bones. And the idea was is that all textiles, all clothing could find a secondary market of one type or another. If it was reusable, it was reused. Uh, and if it was uh, recyclable into some other purpose like rags, it was recycled. Uh, and so the first of the thrift stores, uh, such as we think of thrift stores today, uh, basically started on the east coast of the United States in the late 19th century. Uh, and included in that was uh, St. Paul thrift stores uh, on the east coast of the United States back in the 1880s, 1890s. Uh, well, you fast forward uh, to our time uh, and the strategy of having a thrift store uh, that could raise revenue out of surplus clothing that the St. Vincent Paul Society volunteers didn't have a chance to give away or was not appropriate to give away uh, is a model that was uh, started the uh, store's operation here. I mean, of course, the whole idea of it was, so if you have a dedicated group of volunteers that are helping people in the community with getting stuff, uh, but there's stuff that they can't use, so coats and blankets that couldn't be given away, why not find a secondary use for them? And that's when you start a thrift operation and then use the proceeds to support the charitable actions of the organization. So the model is actually a pretty old model and uh, a model that we just adapted to in the late uh, mid-1950s uh, and, uh, and have been successfully expanding it. Uh, of course, the difference in our operation is that that traditional model changed in the 1980s. So the normal model of a thrift operation, and if you go to many other St. Vincent Pauls around the country, you'll see the same model, is, is that we get clothing in, uh, you take that clothing, and if you give away some of it, great. If you can find a secondary market for the things that are not usable, great. Uh, but the vast majority of it you're going to sell, and the purpose on that sale is to make sure that you can release revenue for your programs of the organization. See that whether it's the Humane Society or the ARC uh, stores or any of the others. Um, but in the 1980s, uh, a added dimension to the thrift started in Lane County, and that was during the Great Recession of the 1980s. Uh, during that period of time, we just simply had no jobs and employment in this area. 
And as a result of that, uh, there was a desperate need for jobs, there was a desperate need for housing and emergency services that we couldn't provide through our normal charitable programs associated with the stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was at that point that the board and the staff of St. Anthony Paul said, well, if we were to take a look at thrift a little bit differently, and this is what we do today, uh, in the, through the lens of recycling uh, and waste-based diversion, uh, going back to the old rag and bone of the 19th century, maybe we could change the paradigm of thrift from just getting your used clothing and giving some of it away and selling a bunch of it to a paradigm of how you can create a sustainable community. So people don't really know this a lot about St. St. Paul, but we spend a lot of our time working with landfills and transfer sites throughout this region. Uh, The reason we do that is is that we know that the more stuff we divert from landfills, uh, the less environmental impact that we have. And so what can you get from a landfill? Well, strangely enough, you can get almost everything that fills a thrift store because many people just don't take it to a thrift store. They just throw it away. And by intercepting it, uh, you're able to divert literally tens and thousands of tons per year of materials that would have gone into the waste stream. And what does that look like? Well, it's dishes, pots and pans, shoes, belts, purses, appliances, mattresses, all kinds of different things that people would have thrown away, not just in our local area, but in waste streams within a 500 mile radius sphere where we have contracts to pull these materials out, allows us to create a very different type of thrift operation. One that incorporates the traditional thrift with the environmental purposes that we would like to see to actually create a more sustainable society. And you can also help the society as a whole using that thing thrift model as to how to solve problems in the waste stream. So, for example, in the mid-1990s, we knew that uh, the gas that was in refrigerators, uh, R12, it's a chlorofluorocarbon, was banned. Uh, that it was something that we didn't want to have in refrigerators any longer because it depleted the ozone layer. Mm-hmm. Well, that meant that the refrigerators are going to have to be, instead of just scrapped, are going to have to have those gases removed from them in the late night in the mid 1990s and who was going to do it well St. Lucie Paul tooled up to do that and we did it very effectively so that when the laws went into effect for recycling we were the major recycler of appliances in this region that allowed us to actually get more product to our stores and to our business enterprises by recycling those that could be uh, that were necessarily needed to be recycled because they're broken appliances but ones that could be used and were new enough we would recycle back out for reuse so that kind of stewardship of the resources in the waste stream is part of what we do uh, and that that larger model of employment and training uh, and then returning of things back to the out of the waste stream back into use or else finding an environmentally friendly way to have that stuff recycled are key components to what you think of just a thrift store yeah. I, I think a lot of people, they think thrift store, they think that they're going to find some cool vintage shirts and maybe some cool ripped jeans and color. They don't think about it. They go to St. Vinny's. Um, and maybe they will now. Hopefully we, we want them to. That it's sustainable shopping. It's it's um, 
equitable shopping, you know, they're, they're giving back to their community um, while, you know, helping us and diverting stuff in the landfill. Uh, going back, even like going back kind of to 1953, 1955. So we opened the first salvage bureau in 1953, incorporated in 1955. How long was it from there that we, we opened our, our second and third locations? It was very shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, in 1953, uh, St. Vincent de Paul groups down here were relatively small. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so during that period of time from 1953 to 1955, when we had one little thrift store on West Broadway, uh, which is the picture we often see in the publications we have, we were incorporated into the Portland St. Vincent de Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1955, the organization here, people that were running it down here we're robust enough to actually separately incorporate from Portland and we've been incorporated since 1955 to the present so we've been running the operations for let's see how many years is that 70 years now yeah. 1953 19 20 mm-hmm. 23 70 years uh, and uh and I can remember almost all of that. That's a really sad commentary. But there you <laughs> I go. I think that's wonderful commentary. Uh, well, that means that I have a lot of gray hair and, uh, and more <laughs> of it coming, as long as I keep it. So anyhow. Uh, so yes, that's the genesis of it. And your question was, when did we get the second and third? Uh, we got our second uh, location. The property on West Broadway was a leased property, mm-hmm. uh, but we put a small store in on the corner of 3rd and Main Street in Springfield. And, uh, and that was our second store. Uh, and then in, um, ni- in about 1955, 1956, about the same time as that one, uh, we purchased our first property at 1880 West 11th. Uh, and in 1959, that very small location was expanded to become uh, our major warehouse that we had for a number of years. And uh, that property uh, currently uh, has been renovated uh, to now uh, house the, uh, the uh, land building. Building, uh, which is affordable housing and then a commercial space on the first floor. So it was that period of 1955 through 1959 that the major expansions of the organization occurred. Yeah. What did our outreach generally look like um, in those early in those early years as far as our human services and things that we were doing with, through the thrift stores? Well, the traditional model of St. Vincent Paul here and elsewhere uh, is based upon the volunteers associated with the local Catholic parishes. So if a family uh, in an area of town needed to have rent assistance or clothing for their kids or shoes or whatever else, uh, the volunteers of St. Vincent Paul would go out uh, and visit those families in their homes and assess what their needs were and then uh, send them down to our local store to pick up whatever it was that they wanted through a basically a chit or a voucher mm-hmm. uh, and that that was the methodology during that period of time uh, and that's what you will find in most St. Vincent Pauls around the United States today uh, so the outreach that we had to the community during that period of time from the 1950s through the mid-1980s was really restricted to that volunteer base going out and helping people in the community but then also during that period of time compared to the organization today it was a much smaller organization with a limited mm-hmm. focus. Yeah, and then just over time has grown um, to what it is now, obviously, with so many different departments and services. Um, and we, so St. Vincent de Paul was already doing um, appliance repair in those early days, or, um, and then that kind of evolved into appliance recycling. 
Yes. Uh, so uh, we did appliance repair back in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, uh, and into the 80s. But it was a very small department. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would produce uh, with a prepair technician uh, that was sometimes higher quality than others, uh, but sometimes not. Uh, we would then uh, repair those appliances and put them out into the uh, store or else maybe you give them away in the community. We generally produce somewhere between 30 and 30 appliances per month. But what happened in the 1980s was twofold. Number one, uh, since most thrift operations, Goodwill, Salvation Army, St. St. Paul, uh, around the country were going away from appliance repair uh, because it was very difficult to get a really quality staffing to repair appliances. Uh, And it was, uh, of course, it was a heavy, bulky item to deal with. Um, we saw that as an opportunity. So instead of uh, Goodwill in those days, Salvation Army, so on, stop taking appliances, we encouraged people to bring them to us or else we would go out and pick them up. And what that meant was that a vast number, new numbers of appliances started coming into our operations, which allowed us then to create a real training program around repairing appliances for reuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that period of time from about 1984 until about 1994, about a 10 year period of time, we went from uh, handling and processing for reuse uh, about 30 to 40 appliances a month to around 100 appliances a month. But then when the CFC recycling programs kicked into place and suddenly instead of handling a ton or two of appliances a day, we were handling 10 to 20 tons of appliances a day, uh, some of which could be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. Uh, We moved from just recycling and reusing 100 or so appliances per month uh, to literally hundreds. Uh, And that also gave us the opportunity to create a much more robust um, training and guaranteeing program around those appliances, as well as a whole program around how to recycle the CFC gases uh, in there in a way that was more environmentally friendly. So uh, it was that kind of growth and seeing an opportunity in the waste stream. Uh, it's what we've been doing uh, for many years, including on the appliances. Yeah, I, mean, I was talking to someone the other day um, who's you know from back in Minnesota, back in the Midwest, and. I was just explaining the scope of the organization and all the different things we do um, from appliances to styrofoam to mattresses to thrift stores to human services. And they're just they're they're making how does how do you get to that point? Like, how does someone do that? Like, how does someone create all of this? Um, And it seems like there was just a lot of trial and error and figuring things out and experimenting with different ideas. Um, But how, how do you like looking back on it? How do you feel like we got to, to where we are now with just the multifaceted faceted, um, think nature of St. Vincent de Paul? Well, it largely is based upon the uh, evolution of the needs of the community and the willingness of a community asset like St. Vincent de Paul mm-hmm. uh, to evolve into those needs. So uh, when there was a need uh, that was uh, unfulfilled in the marketplace out there, uh, St. Vincent de Paul decided that that was a place that we should go. It was a place where if the community needed to have a CFC program for recycling re- refrigeration, uh, 
uh, somebody needed to do it, and we said that would be a niche that we could fill. Uh, or if we needed more affordable housing uh, or homeless services and nobody else was filling that niche, um, what you have to do is you have to respond to the community where the community needs you. Uh, and so as you go through the years and decades, uh, one program leads to the next, leads to the next. And then the evolution of the theory really goes along with that. And that is, is that instead of just being a single focused organization on one aspect of society's needs, finding a way to create a community asset that fulfills many different niches, but does it in a way where you're also constantly feeding one part into the next, into the next, where it's a, a mutually beneficial system. So uh, as we all know, uh, if you're going to provide showers to the homeless, mm -hmm. uh, people have to have towels to dry themselves with. Uh, uh, where are you going to get these towels, so hundreds of tons of towels per year? Uh, well, you get it through the thrift stores. Um, the thrift stores have blank, uh, towels that uh, are needed, are not, you know, are not going into the stores for sale, but actually could be used for this purpose. Um, then you just give them away through those stores. Or if you need to have employment opportunities for people coming back out of incarceration or other people that have got multiple barriers to housing, uh, well, then we have uh, or two jobs, uh, then you find a way to, to fit them into your programs. Uh, and likewise, everyone needs a stable housing program, uh, you know, stability. They need a stable place to live. Well, you need to create a reservoir of affordable housing, but that affordable housing requires money to get it going, and that comes out of the stores. Uh, so you end up with this kind of circular economy where the needs of one department are fulfilled by the other department, which then feeds into another department, which then creates a circular economy that is truly a representative of how we can do both social justice activities, the kind of charitable stuff, but combine that also with the environmental stewardship that we all want to see moving forward. Yeah, and we talk about needs, um, and I think a, a global need is obviously styrofoam recycling. And, you know, we, we're kind of one of the, I mean, at this point, I would say we're almost an industry leader in, in how we approach that. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about how we how we got into that and how it's evolved? Well, uh, styrofoam, uh, of course, is one of those omnipresent uh, materials uh, that's a packing material. It's a very effective packing material. And ironically, styrofoam is one of the most recyclable products. So it's 100% recyclable. You can... If you return it back to the resin, it can be recreated over and over and over again uh, with virtually no loss. Uh, but the problem is it's so it's so bulky, uh, and so we've been evolving a system where uh, we use commercial accounts or else the the consumer just brings that product into us, uh, and that we will densify that product and then put it back out into the marketplace uh, so that it can be recycled again and again. Uh, the whole reason it works. Works, uh, is, is that we recognize that commercial businesses needed to not throw this stuff away because it costs them a lot of money. And so we make a contract with those local, you know, big producers, hospitals and furniture manufacturers or electronic manufacturers that have big 
blocks of styrofoam, mm-hmm. uh, and then they pay us to recycle that material, saving them money, because they would have had to throw in the landfill, and it's expensive to throw away. And likewise, the consumer can bring it to us, and we have that then arrive in our, our facilities at a relatively cost-effective manner, which allows us to turn around and then recycle that material. Um, the irony on that is, is that that system now uh, is we're seeing the products that are remanufactured out of our styrofoam coming back to our community, uh, like picture frames that are being made uh, by manufacturers that re-extrude the styrofoam, but instead of an expanded styrofoam, expanded polystyrene, it comes back as a densified product as a picture frame, which is sold over in retailers uh, like um, Walmart and Target. Uh, So you're actually, when you buy products uh, from those shelves that are made out of uh, a recycled styrofoam, it's likely that it came from Eugene. Mm-hmm. That's then that's great. And I think people don't realize that, like, just how on the map Eugene is for that industry, um, thanks to St. Vincent de Paul. Well, it, it goes even deeper than that. Um, so probably don't uh, don't think of it very often, but mattress recycling is a growing uh, trend in the United States. Um, there are currently four states around the United States that mandate that man that mattresses do not go into landfills or incinerators: mm-hmm. uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, California, and now Oregon. Uh, and that mattresses by volume make up about one percent of the waste stream. Uh, well, finding a way to recycle that was uh, a very important goal for many of the waste streams in California. So St. Vincent Paul of Lane County, our organization, actually went to California uh, and developed the first commercially viable mattress recycling operation in the world. Uh, that was in 1999. Uh, we did that because we wanted to have more mattresses to give away to our clients that needed uh, mattresses through our volunteer activities, but also as a matter of stewardship, finding a way to get that product out of the waste room we felt was very important. Uh, so over the last 20 odd years, uh, St. Vincent Paul of Lane County, this operation has become the largest mattress recycler in the United States uh, and is a market leader in de- developing that technology. And if you took all the mattresses that we've recycled over the last 25 years, it would stretch one and a half times around the world. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is crazy. And you, we kind of touched on something about giving away mattresses and, and giving away clothes. And, you know, we we accept a lot of donations and a lot of those things go back into our thrift stores, which, you know, in turn, we talk about that, that sustainable model of funding all of the, the variety of um, programs we provide. But people, um, some may, people may not be aware. We also have like our voucher program, for example, where people can, you know, we actually can give a lot of stuff away as well. Yes. Uh, the model is, of course, that you want to make sure that the highest and best use of the material is reuse, and it's also finding a way to solve social problems. <laughs> so if a, a homeless person needs a tent or if they need a bedroll or a sleeping bag or whatever else, we try and make those available through our store's operation. Uh, likewise, if a low-income family needs beds, uh, which if you think about it, if you're low-income and you're moving from place to place because you're trying to seek 
better opportunities. You don't take your beds along with you very often. And the reason for that is that they're so big and bulky. Uh, so there's always been a long-term need to find a way to get beds to low-income families uh, in the community. Uh, and we give away literally hundreds, if not thousands, of beds per year uh, through that donation program. Well, uh, if we did not have this supply of product coming through the vouchers of our stores, we would have a difficult time fulfilling that need. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, uh, we can basically make sure that all of the volunteers have the access to that product through our store's operation because of our recycling, waste-based businesses, uh, and the thrift operations, and the generosity of the public. Yeah. And we talk about the generosity of the public and just how, how important, you know, for our thrift stores and all of our services to, to function, how important are those public donations uh, at our sites, our donation centers? Well, obviously, this is a business that's based upon reuse of stuff that is donated by the public to us. Uh, so without the generosity and uh, the willingness of people to get this product to us to either divert for reuse or divert for donation or divert for other business opportunities, uh, it would not be possible to have the kind of operation so, uh, that we have today and the kind of social programs we have. Uh, so a key component of everything we do goes back to the community supporting itself through their generosity and, and their direct donations of those products to us to ensure that those resources are used here exclusively for the use of our community and for the betterment of our region. Nice. Uh, Bethany, for the, this last part, before we get out of here, I want to just, like, you're, you're kind of forward-looking always and looking at where the needs are and where um, where we can be the most useful to our community. Where, where are we heading um, that you can share? Well, within our um, social services, over the last year, our Homeless and Emergency Services Director has said that she's seen a rise and an increase in um, unsheltered senior women. So one of the things that she's done over the last two years is evaluate the individuals who are coming to us and how that population has changed and how we can respond. So two things that we've done in response to that is uh, create the Phoenix house. So we have now a sober living house in response to seeing more of those individuals at that site. And she's looking at how she can partner with uh, Peace Health to create a similar shelter for people who are medically fragile. We're seeing more uh, medically fragile and senior citizens through our shelters. And then uh, with our stores, we're always evaluating uh, what's coming through and how can we best use that item. So that's that's a good way to remain a constant, seeing what, what comes through and how we can uh, maximize the use so that we're better serving the community. Awesome. Well, thank you guys both for coming down to talk today. I know you're extremely busy with all these different programs and things that need your attention. So I really appreciate you coming down and talking about the thrift stores and the history of St. Vincent de Paul. Um, Before we get out of here, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd maybe like to mention? Well, there's always more. Uh, the constantly changing needs of the waste stream and our environmental footprint and the need to find ways to better recycle are always there and finding ways to deal with our human services needs are constantly evolving by finding a way to bring those together through an organization like us we can all win nice that's a great place to stop